Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Everybody say a witness. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. In Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 6, it says at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, everybody say three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. And finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, it says that one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses. Everybody say three witnesses. Shall the matter be established? You can be seated this morning. I want to talk to you today about the third witness. God has given us a wonderful message in his word, and I want to share something with you today. I want you to walk out this morning emboldened and strengthened and empowered in the witness that you have, in the truth that you have, in the knowledge of God that you have to walk out of here today feeling strong and emboldened and armored. You see, and even in modern society today, we live under rules and laws and regulations that require witness. If you go to court, if you're on trial for murder, they still call witnesses. They still look for witnesses for that event. Now things have gotten a little sketchy these days and sometimes they can convict you on circumstantial evidence. But for the most part, we're subject to witnesses. If you have something notarized, if you go to a notary and get a legal, legal document notarized, you have to have that done by a notary and that's a witness. Okay, if you get married, who signs the, the document along with you and your, your spouse? A witness, right? And so we live under this and, and, and again and again and again, the word expresses to us the thought of two or three witnesses. And I want to share that with you today. But look how it carries into, it carries into the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, it says that, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. There's something about this principle of two or three witnesses that is very significant in God's law and in the word. And I believe it pertains even to salvation. The very story that we tell, the witness that we give, is critical that we follow these principles. And I'm going to carry you through and I'm going to show you how throughout the entire word, God continues to reinforce the concept of two or three witnesses. It's very important. Matthew 18 and 20 goes on to say that for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of thee. Now someone would say, well, isn't Jesus everywhere? Are you saying if I'm home alone and I'm praying in my closet that Jesus isn't there? Well, of course he is. But notice that what this says, there's a more powerful element to this. It says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of thee. And I believe he's saying that. I believe Matthew is, Jesus is saying that in Matthew, that what he's saying is there's something powerful about two or three of you getting together and being specifically in my name for my purpose. And I take heed to that. So not, I, I might be up there and I'm blessing and I'm watching and, and I'm certainly hearing your prayer, but two or three of you get together, two or three of you say something in my name and I'm gonna be right in the middle of you. That's powerful. 
How often are we together, just a couple of us? I mean, human beings are just, they're prone to two-person companion relationships. Who's got one best friend? You know, we have that one person. We, it's very difficult to, 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 to gather in large groups and have really effective, long conversations that are deeper that you would have in just two. It's funny because uh, there's, a, there's a very famous comedian who makes the joke that you get more than two or three guys together in a, in a room and, and a fight breaks out. <laughs> but... There's something significant about that, and Jesus proclaims it. In 2 Corinthians 13 and 1, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Now, there were two, there were two Corinthian epistles, and he's coming to me. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. He's, tr- he's, he's trying to talk to these guys, and he's saying, two or three witnesses, and you have the truth. Everything will be established. He's telling them again and again. Now, look at the same principle in Jesus' trial. Now, the synoptic gospels have different, pretty much the same iterations, but there's one specific thing that I noticed as I was reading, and I chose Mark. In the book of Mark, you can look at it. I'm going I'm to reference to it pretty quickly. The book of, book of Mark 14, starting at verse 55, it's describing the trial where Jesus went before the Sanhedrin. The Garden of Gethsemane was the night before, or was that same night, literally earlier that evening. He was taken before the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leadership, and uh, they began to bring false witnesses. And the, and the word literally says they were looking for false witnesses. See, the Sanhedrin couldn't bring people that were going to tell the truth because they didn't want people to know that, because they understood what was happening. Jesus was a threat to their authority. They didn't want to acknowledge his authority over them and the fact that he was the Messiah. And so they had, it says they were looking for false witnesses. But see, under the same principle of the law, they understood that you can't bring false witnesses that don't agree. Where two or three agree, let it be established. You you heard it earlier in Deuteronomy. If someone's going to die, it's not by one. It has to be by two or three. And so they're struggling to bring these witnesses. And the word says, as you go forward, it says that finally, they found two. They brought two forward. That agreed, but sort of agreed, but then it says they, they didn't really completely agree. But what they agreed on was a lie. They came forward and they cho- cho- told the Jewish leadership as Jesus stood there. Jesus was watching this whole thing, listening, completely silent. And they stood before him and they said, we heard this man say that he will tear down the temple made with hands. And in three days he will build up a temple made not with hands. Okay, well that was a lie. That's false witness. Jesus never said that. He never said he was going to tear down a temple made with hands, right? He said, I will tear down this this temple. And so they were lying already. Now, if you know Jewish law, you know that in Jewish law, to destroy a a holy temple or a holy place is is a capital punishment offense. And so, so they were trying to get him on something that they knew they could kill him over. So these two witnesses come forward, and so the Jewish priest is, is talking to them, listening to this testimony, and he turns to Jesus and says, well, what do you say? How can, you're silent. You're saying nothing. And Jesus said nothing. He stayed silent. See, Jesus understood. He knew that he needed to be there. The plan was that he was going to sacrifice himself. That was already a foregone conclusion. But he was not going to admit to a lie. And certainly not to these false witnesses. And so if you notice in the scriptures, you move forward, the priest changes the question. He doesn't ask him, are you the guy that said, you're going to tear down the temple made with hands? He doesn't say that. He turns to him, looks at me, and he says, are you the, 
the man who's the Christ, the son of the blessed, the son of the living God. And it was at that point that Jesus lifted up his head and he said, I am he. And when he did that, when he spoke, he became the third witness. See, he would not have been crucified. He would have not have been taken down had he not spoken and become the third witness. But he wasn't going to admit to a lie. He wasn't going to admit to saying that he took, will take the temple down with two hands, or made with hands. But he did admit to being the Christ, the son of the living God. So the priest, seeing a window of opening there, basically taking what Jesus said as admission to the whole thing, and jumps up and makes this big, glorious presentation. The, 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 the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they did this all the time. They made all these big, glorious statements, and everything was for show. But the priest knew the law as well as the rest of them did, and that is they couldn't convict him unless they had the three witnesses. And so when Jesus just said something, I am he, he immediately jumped on that and took it as, as he was saying, I am he, the one who said the lie as well. And that's on him. And so when he did that, he rent his clothes. And if you know Jewish law, when they tear their clothes, that's a great dramatic statement of separation. And, and, and he was basically saying, you're done. I'm, you're, you're out. I'm separated from you. And he called blasphemy. And so then they convicted him. The word goes on and it finishes out and says that they, he turned to the rest of the people. Did you see? He admitted. He, was, he, was, he completely said that was him. This is blasphemy. Do you not agree? And of course they all did. They were all after his blood. And they began to smack him and spit on him and do all those terrible things. So in the very testimony of Jesus' word, he became the third witness to his own death. But see, it was at this point, it was this point that established the foundation for grace that we enjoy today. That witness that we have today started right there. It was where we got salvation. Without Christ being crucified and the shedding of blood, as it says in the book of Hebrews, there is no remission of sin. He became that sacrificial lamb because of that point right there, because he became the third witness. So it stands to reason that if this principle is carried throughout the word, that it, it applies to the very truth that you hold. When you walk out of this building, when you go to work and you go to school and you do the things that you do in life, you carry a witness with you. The salvation that you have. Well, there's lots of different people. I deal with all kinds of people and different, some people come from a different background. They, they believe a certain way and this way. I understand that. It's very difficult to deal with sometimes. But the fact of the matter is that you and I both know that the Bible is written one way, one path, one salvation, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all is above all and through all and in you all. There is one message if that was not true, there'd be 37 different versions of the King James that, were, that are completely different from each other. They'd have a Bible that just basically all it says is believe and you'll be saved. But see, I believe that that principle carries into the word as well. It carries into doctrine. You've got to be able to find it. You've, if there's a principle that you're living your life on or that you're following into salvation, you must be able to find two or three witnesses. Paul said it to the Corinthians, let every word, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. If the Bible says that you've got to paint yourself purple and turn upside down and bake a cake in order to be saved, you better find two or three witnesses that agree that that's the plan of salvation. Am I right? And so you carry this witness into the world, but sometimes I think there's, there's just so much. 
There's so much that we deal with. We have people that we love so dearly. We have our friends and we have coworkers and we've got neighbors and, and, and relatives and we love them so much and, and some of them, they, they're not interested in church or they are but they kind of took the easy route or maybe they, they veered off the path. And we don't want to come to terms with the idea that there's just one way but there is. And we've got the witness. We have the witness. I believe it with everything that's within me. As we've gone from Genesis to Revelation and studied and studied and studied and looked at everything. And I'll give you an example of that in just a moment. I have to tell you a story that one time, talking about witnesses, one time I was, uh, I was in sales. I was in outside sales. A lot of people know that. And uh, I was out on the road and I was coming back to the office for a, uh, a meeting. And uh, we, our offices were over off by, uh, by Thunder Bay over there by the bank. And I was getting off the freeway and I came up on the ramp and I noticed there's a, a gentleman sitting in his car at the intersection. There's two lanes that come off that ramp and there's, a, there's a, a light. It's not a stop sign, it's a light. And this man was literally straddling both lanes on his cell phone at a green light, stopped, looking like this. So I got off the ramp and I got to get to this meeting and I pull up behind him and I'm thinking, okay, this guy's either going to erratically turn to the right or erratically turn to the left. Either way, I don't want to be there when he makes that decision. So I came up behind him, went around this way, into, you know, I stayed that lane on my right side and I went on into my parking lot and I was getting out of my car and all of a sudden I turn around and this joker had pulled up behind me, pulled down his, rolled down his window and started screaming at me all of these Colorful words. Tell him about how I almost hit him and I'm driving erratically. And I'll, I looked at him and I said, man, what are you talking about? You almost hit me. You almost did this. You almost hit my car. And I said, almost? What's your point? And he's just yelling and swearing at me. Well, I'm not going to stand there and listen to that. I said, I've got a meeting to go to. I'm going to go inside. Well, this character called the cops on me. <laughs> yeah, he called the cops on me. So the next thing I know... Someone's knocking on the door and says, the sheriff's outside and wants to talk to you. <laughs> so, so I, okay, so I went up there and I'm talking to the sheriff's deputy and, and he says, well, this man says you were driving recklessly and you almost hit him and you almost did this and you almost, I looked at him and I said, sir, are you kidding me? I said, that's crazy. I said he was driving, he was erratic. He was sitting there, he was in the middle of the lane. He didn't know where he was going. I said, I get out of the way. And the uh, officer says, well, I have to take this down and I, I, have to, I have to report this. And, you know, you could be cited for this. I'm going to have to write you a ticket. I said, what? Are you serious? He says, yeah, I'm sorry. I have to take his word. I said, what about my word? My word is I didn't do it. Right? And he says, well, I'm sorry, sir, but I have to take this into account. And I said, what witness does this guy have? It's my word against his. Well, you'll have to tell that to the judge. And would you believe I ended up before a judge? Now, those of you that know me really well know that I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed and I'm stubborn about stuff like that. I have a terrible, terrible sense of injustice. I really get ugly in injustice situations. It's not good. You can ask my wife because I had to go to four separate pre-trial meetings. They kept pushing me through. And I was working up in the Sheboygan market at the time and coming home on the weekend. So I was having to drive from Sheboygan every time one of these court appearances came so that I could go sit with the DA. And of course, the assistant DA is, sir, you need to, you need to just resolve this and, and you're done. I said, no, I'm not guilty. I didn't do this. I'm not, well, you know, if you go to court, it's going to cost a lot of money. If we do a bench trial, you could be cited for all that money and have to, I said, I don't care. I didn't do it. You don't have a witness. 
oh, sir, sir. And she, oh, this lady just kept hammering on me. I go back to the next meeting, same thing. She takes me into a, a room and she's just beating me up. I said, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. You don't have a witness. And would you believe I ended up in a bench trial? Waukesha County Courthouse. So I go down there the day of the trial and uh, I'm my own lawyer and my own attorney or my own attorney, my own witness. And, and so they sit us down. And it's just like you kind of like you see on TV. There's the, the table over there with the good guys and the table over there with the bad guys. And, and uh, so this guy's there with the assistant DA and they, they call him up and he tells his harrowing story, you know, just like, just like this guy that's talking about Jesus tearing down the walls with bare hands. But um, anyway, he tells his story and I'm, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted and I'm, I'm just, I can't believe this. So the judge looks at me and says, you're, you're your own attorney, so you have a right to cross-examine the witness, right? So she does her whole thing with the guy and they just had their great little package put together and what they were going to say. And the judge looks at me and he says, Mr. Cordell, do you have anything you'd like to say to the witness? And I stood up and I said, yes, your honor, one thing. I looked at the guy and I said, do you have any witnesses? And I, and I sat down. Literally, that's, what, that's all I said, one question. And the guy just sat there and, no. That's it. And I sat down and I sat there quietly. Well, as the trial goes on, they get me up before the... Uh, before the judge, it's my turn to go onto the stand, and I tell my version of the story. And uh, I looked at the judge, and I said, hey, "Judge, it's my word against his, but there's no damage. Nobody's hurt. I didn't do anything wrong." I said, "I've taken that ramp many times. It's a truck ramp, so it's they're really, really wide lanes." So the district attorney lady jumps up and she starts grilling me. She's hammering me. Well, didn't you say that? The, didn't you say that you drove out of the lanes? So then they were trying to get me on another thing. See, it's just like Jesus' trial. So they didn't want it, they couldn't get me on reckless. So what they were trying to get me on was that I drove off the road into those big white lane things, you know, those white stripes, those are emergency, you're not supposed to drive on those, right? So then she was trying to prove that I drove into those. <laughs> well, finally, the judge had heard enough. And the judge starts challenging her on this. And she starts challenging the judge on the law and brings a law book out and opens it up and says, but sir, the statute says, and he said, did you just bring a law book out on me? <laughs> Picks up the gavel, slam, case dismissed, get out of here. <laughs> so it was the most weird experience I'd ever had in my life. But you know what it basically came down to was there were no witnesses. It was my word against theirs, and the judge knew it. And the judge even told her, he said, listen, lady, I've driven on that ramp. Those lanes are five miles wide. He could have easily gone around that guy and gotten out of the way. I, he said, I think Mr. Cordell did the right thing. He stayed out of danger and protected himself from someone who was obviously not paying attention. And I just walked out and said amen. I walked out of that place feeling like I beat a murder rap. <laughs> it was incredible. But it's, it's, the, it's the power of the witness is what I, is what, if that guy had two, or two buddies in the car with him, I would have been in real trouble, right? <laughs> two or three witnesses. And that principle holds true. But let me move forward and show you. I just had to share that, that story with you. Um, I, as I said, I believe that this holds true in God's word as well. I think that when Jesus became the third witness, and of course it's a witness to the most important thing that we know. And that's our salvation, right? Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and, and verse 28. It says, <clears throat> simply it says, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. 
So under Moses' law in the Old Testament, you didn't, you didn't adhere to the law or the truth, is essentially what that's saying. They killed you under the, under the word of two or three witnesses. But look at today. Look at where we're at today. And I know I'm, I'm going to preach to the choir here. I know you folks understand. But look what the devil, look what the enemy has done to fracture the message of Christianity. Now, I'm going to start off by saying I, I don't take anything away from anybody's foundation in their word. We're all learning. We're all at a different, different place in learning the word and understanding God's word. And, right? We can agree with that. I was talking to a great fellow the other day. He was telling me about his experience, and he said he used to be part of this denominal faith, and now he considers himself non-denominal. But he, he basically admitted to me, he says, but I'm still not that good at it. But, you know, I try to get to church once in a while. And I said, hey, listen, don't take away from your foundation. And he was telling me what he believes and how strong he feels about living right for God. And I said, hey, you've got a great foundation. I just believe there's more for you to learn. There's more for me to learn, and I've been doing this for 35 years, Right? But there is a truth. There is one way. There is one message. There's nothing about God. There's nothing about God that we read from Genesis to Revelations that gives us any indication whatsoever that he's like a multiple program God. He's not a multiple choice guy. He's not. There's nothing about the law. There's nothing about the way he entreated the Jews. There's nothing about the way that Jesus ministered that indicates to us that God is some kind of a multiple choice dude that just kind of gives everybody an option. What's your favorite flavor? What, what's the way you like to do it? Brother Kylie always used to say, it's not Burger King religion. You don't just get it your way. Okay, so am I okay in establishing that there's, there's probably one message, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But the enemy has muddied all of that stuff, starting back in the, in, in the first or second century, when men started to fraction out, parcel out. You know, Martin Luther had an absolutely terrific move of what he thought he had to do with the Catholic Church when he nailed the 99 Thesis on the church door, and he said, the stuff that, some of the stuff that the old Catholic Church was doing, and I'm not railing on Catholics, I'm talking about those old, old days, but he, 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 he discovered justification by faith. That was his foundation. He had a revelation of a new thing. And he looked back at what the establishment of the church at that time was doing. And I'm not, this isn't religious. I'm giving you history. And he said, what they're doing is wrong, selling indulgences and all these ceremonies and these things that he's doing. And so he had a revelation. He moved forward with justification by faith. He made a huge step. But we know that there's more. There's more to learn and to discover. And we know that in the latter rain in 1900, when the, when the Holy Ghost was poured out one more time, right here in the United States of America, there were new revelations to that full truth, right? But the, but the enemy has still fractured it. There's churches popping up now that are coming up with whole new doctrines based on very little bits of the word without the two or three witnesses that we need where Paul said, let every word be established. Acts chapter 20 and 28 through 30 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which hath purchased with his own blood. Verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Romans 16, 17 through 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Now you're going to hear this again and again and again. Doctrine. Doctrine simply means a way of teaching or the method of teaching or the principles of teaching. Okay, doctrine is important. They use it in, in government terms. You've heard of the Monroe Doctrine, and, and Charlie Gibson talked about the Bush Doctrine one time. That's a Palin rep- thing. Don't worry about it. But so again and again and again, we see doctrine, doctrine, doctrine come up in this message and, and, and throughout the word. And he says in there, which ye have learned and avoid them for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good works and fair speeches deceive their hearts of the simple. Paul goes on to tell right to the Galatians in, in chapter 1 and 6. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now again, I'm hearing that there must be some element of this that says that people are going to mess with the gospel. They're going to mess with the doctrine. They're going to change it. It says pervert. Can we agree that that probably goes on today? 2 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at 3, says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. They're going to pervert the gospel. The enemy is going to do everything he can to fracture and splinter and separate and divide. But there's got to be a witness. We've got to have the two or three witnesses. Now, I've had this, I've, I've had this experience that, that he's talking about in verse Timothy. The, these, these, there's the, you run into these folks that they're all academic, and they want to argue about the word, and they want to parse all these things, and, and they, want to, they want to get to the Greek, and, and, and that's great. But they're all over the board. I had a conversation one time with a guy, and I'll tell you, have you ever been in that position where the Holy Ghost comes on you, and you just start reciting scriptures, God just brings it, to, he promises it in the word, the Holy Ghost will bring to remembrance those things that you need. And I'm in this situation, and I feel the Holy Ghost, and this guy, well, what about blah, 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 and I'd, scripture pops out. Well, okay, what about blah, 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 scripture pops out. This goes on and on and on, 10, 12, 14 scriptures. And finally he says, well, yeah, if you're just going to pick scriptures out of all over the place, anybody can do that. I said, I said, okay, well, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I've gone astray. Tell me where I've taken something out of context. You get that a lot. Well, that's your interpretation. No, it's not my interpretation. When the Greek word means one, it means one. Number one. I'm going to share that with you in a moment. So finally, he says to me, I get him so frustrated. It wasn't my intention to frustrate the guy. It's just the truth, the truth, the truth. Two or three witnesses. 
And again and again and again, I'm sharing with him the truth. And finally he says, well, there's some things I believe that Jesus, I, I, I do that Jesus says, there's some things I don't. I said, well, okay, well, there's your difference right there. If you're not gonna take every word. Folks, listen, okay, hear me on this one. Hear me on this one, please. If you're not going to take every word, every word, say every word. If you're not going to take every word, throw the whole thing out. I'm telling you, Jesus said it himself, be ye a doer of the word and not hearers only. Again and again and again, we are instructed every word. You might as well throw the whole thing out if you're going to take a portion out and say, well, that's not for today. I hear that a lot. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience with some folks that have kind of, I feel, have veered off, have taken things out, like the fellow that I'm talking about. This is a little litmus test for me, and you can take it if you want. You can leave it. This one's free. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Every time I've encountered people of other faiths. Now, I, I, I want you to understand, I don't, I don't go out there. I'm not on a mission to go out and knock on people's doors and drag them out and challenge their faith. That's not what I do. But during the course of life, if you let enough people know who you are and what you are and what you stand for, the, the enemy's going to challenge you. The enemy will use people to jump in your face and challenge what you believe. And that's why when you leave today, I want you to leave so emboldened in knowing that you've got a hold of the truth. I want you to go home and say, I really want to understand that scripture. I'm going to read some more. I'm going to study some more because that's what God did to me. It made me want to study. It made me want to know for sure because I was challenged in my faith at times, several times. And the enemy will present that to you. So I didn't go looking for people to fight with. I didn't try to challenge people in their faith. But I'm not, just like Jesus, I'm not going to stand there and say, yes, that's right. I, exactly what you, no, that's not right. And so when I've had these experiences, and here's my litmus test, every single time, without failure, now again, I've been in this 35 years, I started, when I was in high school, I went to the Elam Christian Academy, and so we were trained immediately, and, and this started when I was in my teens. But every single time, without fail, when I encountered someone of another faith that has veered, they wanted to take something away. You hear me? Never one time did someone ask me, what is your faith and what do you believe? And I share it with them and they say, well, you're missing something. Wait a minute, let me show you something in the word here you forgot. Never, never has that happened. Every single time, every time without fail, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, they wanted to take something away. You don't need that anymore. Oh, that's not for this time. That was just the apostles. Wrong, absolutely wrong. So I have learned through the grace of God and the Holy Ghost that when I encounter somebody and they want to discuss their faith and they want to talk about and they want to learn and they want to engage, the second that I hear, you don't need that anymore. Oh, that's not for now. Oh, we don't believe in that part. The second I hear that, out. Now, I'm not rude or mean to people, obviously, but you have to understand. Paul said it right there. Don't entertain these people. Shy away from, didn't he say it? He said, from such, withdraw thyself. Right there in 1 Timothy. Get away. Because what are they going to do? They're going to dote, dote about questions and strifes of words, whereas cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. That's a waste of my time. 
Like I said, if you're going to take one portion out, you might as well throw the rest out. We don't have any foundation to discuss. I've been in Bible studies where I got started early. This is when I was first starting to teach Bible studies. And you get two, three, four lessons in. Finally, the person goes, oh, my goodness. Well, I don't really believe all this. (laughs) So guess what I do now? I start the whole Bible study out with the foundation in Scripture. Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and the authority in your life? I'm never making that mistake again because I wasted 12 hours of my life. <laughs> well, I don't believe that. That's a lot of stories. What? <laughs> but that's what they said. Why are you in this Bible study if you don't believe in the Bible? But, but here is truth, and here is our most important witness. And I want you to turn with me to... Well, let me, share, let me just share this with you real quickly. I'm going to share... A st- I wasn't going to do it, but... I read this article the other day, and I just want to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. The title of this article is called, Is Baptism Necessary for Salvation? It's written by a guy named Matt Slick. So, that tells you anything. One of the most nagging questions in Christianity, he says, is whether or not baptism is necessary for salvation. Taking it away. The answer is simple. No, water baptism is not necessary for salvation. But you might ask... If the answer is no, then why are there verses that say things like baptism that now saves us, 1 Peter 3 and 21, and repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. And he goes on to say, there are, these are good questions. Yeah, because they're all over the place. <laughs> and they deserve a good answer, so we will look at these verses later. And he goes on to, to try to take them apart. But for now, listen to this now, but for now, the reason baptism, and I want you to listen to the scripture references and see if you pick up anything. He says, but for now, the reason baptism is not necessary for salvation is that we are justified by faith. Okay, and he cites Romans 5 and 1, Ephesians 2 and 8, and he says, and not by faith and a ceremony, Romans 4, 1 through 11. He says, you see, a religious ceremony is a set of activities or forms performed by someone. In the Bible, now get this, raging ignorance in this next statement. He says, and I know that sounds critical, but listen. In the Bible, circumcision was a ceremony where one person performed a religious rite on another person. Likewise, baptism is also a ceremony where one person performs a religious rite on another person, but we are saved by faith alone, and anything else we do, including ceremonies, will not help. Now, I hate to tell you, but if you know Jewish law and you weren't circumcised, it wasn't just a ceremony. You were destroyed. (laughs) You were wiped out. Circumcision was a right that you had to have in Jewish law. It's not a religious right. But you see the the approach that they take. Take it away. He says that baptism won't help. Well, man, if all I have to do is believe, let's say that's true. Let's say it's true. All I have to do is believe and I'm saved. Well, I've got that covered. I'm here today, aren't I? You're here. But let's say he's wrong. One of us is in trouble. Because I've been baptized. I've received the Holy Ghost. I've been filled with the Spirit of God. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And if it doesn't help, if it doesn't help anymore, what have I lost? But I've got the Holy Ghost in me. And I've got events where I can say God brought to remembered scriptures for me. God led me through things in the Holy Ghost. You see what I'm saying? But did you pick up his references? Romans, 
Romans, Ephesians, Romans. Now, if you think I'm taken away from those books, I'm not. But here's the point. Rome was saved in Acts chapter 28 under the plan that Paul taught where they repented and they received the Holy Ghost and they were baptized in Jesus' name. Why do we always have these folks that want to take and teach salvation from a message that was for people who were already saved? When Paul was writing to the Romans and the Ephesians, he wasn't trying to save them. He was trying to teach them how to live godly lives and continue in the faith. Yeah, it's a little bit like if I taught you how to drive a car. Okay? And you're learning to drive stick. So the first time, the first time I teach you, okay, open the door, get in the car, put on your seatbelt, put your foot on the clutch, right, and turn the key. Those steps you need to know when you first start learning how to drive stick. If you get in a car, you don't put your foot on the clutch and turn the key, you don't get a whole lot, right? Now follow me. The next time we come back for lesson two, am I going to say, open the door, get in the car, put on your seatbelt, put the clutch down, and turn on the key? No, of course not. I don't need to give you that foundational lesson again because you already know it would be a foolish waste of time. Next time I show up, I'm going to jump in the car and say, all right, let's go. Fire it up. Because you're already going to know that you got to do those things. You understand what I'm saying? It's kind of a bad analogy. But the point is, is we can't try to teach people salvation necessarily from letters written to people who are already saved. And that's what we run into again and again. Let's look at 1 John. I'm closing right now. Let's 1 John chapter 5. Starting at verse 6. And it says, this is he that came by water and blood. Jesus was baptized, was he not? Who was he baptized by? John the Baptist, whose baptism was of repentance. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness. The Spirit beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. All things were present in Jesus' life. Now remember when he was pierced in the side when he hung on the cross, what came out? Water and blood. It was a message to us. See, we, don't, we have this tank over here. And we're going to baptize somebody today, as a matter of fact. But I didn't come in early this morning and kill a bunch of animals and fill that thing up with blood. It's full of water because we've been given grace. Christ was the sacrifice. His shedding of the blood gave us the redemption of our sins. We go into the water of baptism to be buried like him and have resurrection like him. Don't let him take it away from you. It needs to be there. There are three witnesses. You see what it says? Three he came by water and blood, and not only water, but blood and water. In verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Okay? And it says, These three are one. That word one, translating in the Greek, is not unity. It's not those three persons that are together in agreement. It doesn't say that. It means the number one. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. We know John in chapter 1 of his book said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And those three bear record to have it together in heaven as one. Well, what are they bearing record of, Brother Corda? Well, listen. Verse 8 says, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Three witnesses. Three witnesses. 
They agree in one. You need the spirit. You need the water. And you need to take on the blood. Right? The blood represents the repentance. The water represents the the washing away. And the spirit is the infilling of God. You need those three. They bear record in heaven. Sister Kylie, can you bring up verse 11, please? I forgot to write it on your sheet. So what is it bearing record of? What is it a witness of? What does it bear record for what? And here it is in verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. The life is in his son. And there you go. So if we're talking about salvation, if we're talking about why we're here today, the purpose for what we're doing, there it is right there. And we've got three that bear the witness. Remember, we're two or three. Three witnesses. Jesus was the third witness. And that became the beginning and foundation of grace in this very message. In 1 Timothy, and I'm closing, you can stand with me. I'm closing with first, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. And it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, all of it, 100% of it. Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Be ready. Be ready. Get a hold of this word. Go home and say, I want to know what he was talking about. I want to really understand. I want to firmly know. Folks, I'm telling you, Matthew 28, 19 says, go ye into all, Jesus said, go ye into all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It was a conceptual message from him to say, they knew who he was. They knew he was the Father sent in the flesh. They knew he was the Son, meaning the station of the flesh, so people could understand him. They could see him. He was a minister here. They knew that when he came back, it was going to be in the form of the Holy Ghost. But everywhere, everywhere, someone was saved under that formula does not exist there's no one ever in scripture saved under that formula but you start in the book of acts and you go through and you see again and again and again and again in the name of jesus baptized filled with the holy ghost after having repented you understand you can't pervert that gospel there are too many witnesses throughout the word you find a principle find a word find something that's a foundation of our doctrine and find those witnesses And when you get a hold of that, when you make that a part of who you are, you can go out there boldly and say, I know you've got a good foundation. I know that you love God. I know you've got a great faith. But let me share something a little bit more with you. Let me take you to that next level. Let me witness that thing to you. Because here's the facts. Let's go on to say, he goes on to say, preach the word, be incident in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We got to catch them before this happens, you see? We got to get a hold of them before this, they finally turn away. Before they're so frustrated with the inequality and the ineffectiveness of a, of, of a, of a doctrine that just didn't make it all the way. You understand they, they, they'll get indoctrinated so far, but there's no, there's no fullness in it. It's not full truth, and so there's no, there's no satisfaction. There's no joy. The guy I was talking to, I just mentioned, that I said to him, he says, you know, I'm still looking for where this great joy and peace comes from. And I said, it's because you've got to go all the way, man. You've got to be there. So we've got to catch them before this happens, before they just finally say, I'm just turning to my own lust. I just want to find myself a, a pastor who's going to say what I want to hear. We've got to get a hold of them before that. Don't be heartbroken when you see 
your friend or your neighbor or your relative get captured by some of that and drift away. Because it hurts. It hurts so bad. Because you knew that you had the truth. You knew that you had a way to speak to them. You just didn't have a hold of it yet. Get a hold of it. Verse 5 says, But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Now listen to this one. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. You're an evangelist. You have a ministry. This is all of our jobs. See, the fact that Jesus abides in you and that you have this message makes you the third witness. See, you are the third witness. You have Jesus. You've got this. Now all they need is you, number three. The third witness. You are the third witness. Take your Bible, take your Holy Ghost, and let every word be established. In Jesus' name. God, we're so very thankful, Lord. Lord, we bless you for the word that you've given us, the gifts that you've given us, the gift of truth, the strength that exists in truth and knowing that we are secure in your word. God, there's not one thing that we do that we take away. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.